0: Now it's my privilege to introduce Pastor Eric Mounts back at Bible Center. How many of you were here when Pastor Eric uh, was here as your senior pastor? All over the building, all over the building. I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. Uh, If the service ends on time, we're gonna be out in the the gathering space. If not, we'll be down front. I'll let you know at the end. But would you just join me in making him feel welcome? I'd love for this brother to give 2,000 hugs, Pray he doesn't get the flu, Uh, bless him, encourage him, love on him and Andy. It's great to have them with us. There's a few pastors who were a big encouragement to me when I was in seminary. They would write occasionally, encourage my heart, and Pastor Eric was one of them. You're going to be blessed by his message. Pastor Eric, will you come and preach God's word to us this morning? still love you and uh, thank you Matt for inviting me to come. Pray for Matt. Support Matt in mission with all of your heart. The next two weeks are going to be great for the church as you celebrate your 75th anniversary. Um, You know there was a 40 year period that it was Camelot around here. And you can read it on the banner this morning. King Arthur will be here in two weeks and Lancelot's here next Sunday. (laughs) Bob Spradling for 27 years cultivated faithfulness followed by a wonderful run that Sean Thornton had for 11 years. Just great stuff. I hope you thoroughly enjoy the next couple of weeks. Um, If you're on Twitter and you would wish to uh, follow someone, I, I would love for you to follow me. Here's a deal. Uh, if you want politics, don't follow me. I don't do any of that. Um, but when I, I read and when I run across quotes that make my heart sing, I tweet them. Once in a while I do something personal, not very often, but once in a while. So if you're on Twitter and you're wondering what, what ever happened to him, what's he doing? That would be one way you could follow. Now, I published three books after I left Bible Center. I think there's a slide with the pictures on them. Um, Please don't be impressed. Your dog can publish books. Um, (laughs) If you give publishers enough money, they'll put anything that you want them to put on down. Um, But I I published a book called Tell Us the Big Story, which is a uh, seven-lesson study with question and answers covering the major storyline of the Bible, creation, fall, Redemption, consummation. Uh, if you want to try to put the big picture together, that's, that's a book. Um, In His Chambers is a 91-day devotional for lawyers. If you're an old Perry Mason fan and just fascinated with the law or watch Law and Order, you, you may enjoy that as well. It's just stories with passages of Scripture from the law. And finally, when my dad died, I, I, you were so kind to me through that time. A particular manifestation of grief was I couldn't sleep, so I would write about my dad, get up and write, and I put it into a book, Jack, The Legacy of a Good Dad and His Family. I actually wrote it for our children, and dad had a great impact on me. But uh, you know, if you can't sleep and you're searching the internet and just want one more site that you haven't seen yet, you know, you can go to that one. Um, here's a picture of our family. Our family's grown since we left. We now, of course, have two little people in our family. And, um, Andy and I are very much for grandparenting. We think this is pretty good stuff. Uh, Vivian came along uh, almost two Aprils ago. A couple months will be two Aprils. And then um, Jack Mounts was born October 27th, named after my father, and that was kind of the thing. uh, The couple in the middle, in the back, our oldest, Caleb and Emily, that's their two children, Ben and Leslie. Leslie, of course, the greatest thing about coming to West Virginia. And Ben met her here, married her and then Abby and Dane, they're in Dayton, Ohio. Ben's in Columbus, Caleb's back in Springfield. But uh, just a brief update on the family. Now finally, I am preaching on a passage of scripture that uh, Matt asked me to preach on. I wouldn't dare jump in his series and try to impersonate him, I'm not him. But um, he asked me to preach on this passage, so if you're wondering, what, what audacity to come and do that, I was asked to do this, so here we are, and I'd like to pray before I begin. Father, I find these moments um, very precious and I pray for your help. Uh, Not some novel stunt, but for Bible Center today, a meeting with God. Uh, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Please, Lord, speak. Grant that we would not grieve you or quench you but that your spirit would run in the auditorium today, taking the word of God right to our hearts. We need you. I'm very conscious of that this morning, of my need, and I ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Since it's just us, let me say what is true. I will never see many of you again. Either I will succumb or you will succumb first to that inevitable experience for all of Adam's children. The Puritans were soberly honest even with their children as they taught them the alphabet in the Puritan primer. A is for Adam. In Adam, all die. And so it is true. And I desire for Jesus Christ to hold you fast, whatever providence you face into the future. None of us knows what will happen next or how it will be that we will die. Some will die suddenly, surprisingly, shockingly, but most of us will grapple with disease, with illness, having our constitution weaken, and then fight as we might, we shall succumb. And if the Lord doesn't come, that will be the course of our end. I remember it as right here. I remember he had his hand on my shoulder. It's June 2011. He has his arm crying out to God in earnestness for God's blessing upon my ministry here. It was the day I was installed as pastor, and you were kind to invite my friend Stephen Strauss to come, and he preached that day. That afternoon, I was installed. A couple weeks after he stood right here, he called me. Steve, how are you, man? Eric, I was just diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I need you to pray. I have the Whipple procedure surgery next week, the most complex abdominal surgery there is, 250 steps to it. You have to learn how to eat again. He had it on Monday and was home on Saturday. He was doing extraordinarily well. Of course, that's a sober diagnosis. He lived for a year, full flight on the faculty at Dallas, and yet recovering. He lived for another year, and on a beautiful day when our church staff, through Randy Dameron's kindness and his leverage with the state of West Virginia, when we were walking tethered under the New River uh, Gorge Bridge, I got a phone call. And I picked it up and I looked at the phone, Stephen Strauss. I thought, oh, great. I've been following him on CaringBridge. I knew it was a big struggle. And I thought, I'm going to get to talk to Steve today. And I said, hey, buddy, Steve, how do you feel today? And it was his wife telling me that he had died that morning. That's the drill in the below world, is it not? We'd like it to be different, but that's how it works. Daryl Bach said, perhaps nothing is so fearful for people. So fearful to face than disease and death, we feel most threatened when our body starts to work against us and our mortality becomes painfully evident. Maybe that's what you're going through this morning. Maybe you feel very well. I hate to disturb the peace of your life, but you won't always, if you feel very well, you will not always feel that way as you feel this morning. But if you're going through a hard time, I'm glad you're here. Maybe you're grappling with disease. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe you have another oncology appointment this week. Maybe it's down to the cancer center again this week. Maybe it's chronic pain. Maybe it's chronic pain. Maybe it's MS. Maybe it's kidney function. You're in the thick of a great struggle. I want you to know Christ holds fast to all of his children, all who belong to him. I'm glad you're here this morning. Jesus loves people who face illness, who are sick. This passage of scripture this morning will help us with the providence of illness. Now, the open secret is that not everyone suffers well as they go through physical decline and then death. Are you prepared now to face your inevitable demise? Am I? Eric, how in the world do you do that? This Luke passage this morning will help us. It will help ready us for the real issues that people of faith face in the below world, including sickness and death. How is it possible to suffer well? If we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, his care for us will bring us through. He will hold us fast in sickness. Now, the story that I want to read to you is a fascinating story. Let me tell you a little bit about it and introduce it before I read it. It involves an interesting 12-year period. It involves a woman, and it involves a man, and it involves disease. A 12-year period. For 12 years, the woman has had a perpetual issue of blood, Uh, She is weak. She is anemic. She is tired. She has spent everything she had with doctors. And Mark, in contrast to Luke in his story, notes Luke being a doctor. Luke just kind of doesn't chronicle that. Mark notes she spent everything she had. She didn't get any better, and she only got worse. Luke, the doctor, does not mention that part. (laughs) Maybe out of deference to his guild. But she has a menstrual cycle that will not quit 12 years on. Say, that'd be horrible. Imagine how she would feel 12 years in. Well, imagine if you're in Jewish culture and any blood that is not sacrificial blood makes you unwelcome with the people of God. So you're an outcast. Imagine it's the first century when if you had such an issue, your husband had a right to divorce you and you spent everything you had. Now you're indigent. I mean, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Nobody wants to be with you. She is the ultimate illustration of being down and out. And she needed Jesus. But you have another person, Jairus. He's the synagogue leader he, I take it, came to Jesus in Luke chapter seven and verse three, when the centurion around Capernaum, the Roman official had a servant who was sick and he wanted him healed. And he said, Hey, you guys from the synagogue, you leaders go talk to Jesus. So chapter seven and verse three says, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him, his elders, sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. It's fascinating that I believe Jerius was a part of that delegation that went to Jesus and said, hey, this centurion guy, he's been really good to us, and and his servant is sick. Will you come and heal him? And he says, hey, I'll come. Jerius was there. He had been a part of that matrix of healing in chapter 7. But he had also been involved in a 12-year cycle, but it wasn't 12 years of tragedy. It was 12 years of glory. It was 12 years of his only daughter... Hour after hour, and some of us fathers know this gloriously, day after day, month after month, year after year, being wrapped around her little finger. The text is careful to note an only daughter who is 12 years old. But he's the distinguished synagogue leader revered in the Jewish community. He, as uh, Pastor Spradling, King Arthur, had a famous message one day, would be characterized by Bob as being a part of the up-and-out crowd. You know, the down-and-out need Jesus. Oh, yes, they do, Eric. Well, the up-and-out need Jesus, too. And when it comes to death, it's all level ground. When it comes to illness, the great, small, and unknown, and outrageously famous... They all get cancer the same way, and everybody dies. That's the drill in the below world because of sin. Now, the woman, in contrast to the man, comes and, and, and she just, she crowds in, touches the hem of his garment, and they're all crowding around him. She wanted to be hidden. Her despair, her ostracization as a society, she, all she could do was come and touch. But for the man, and this was uncharacteristic of a synagogue leader, he comes, and according to verse 41, falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him. This must have shocked the crowd. You mean, hey, wait a minute, that's a synagogue leader. Look at him. He's falling down openly, reaching for Jesus and imploring him. The woman was desperate, but hidden he was desperate and threw it all on the line in coming to jesus luke 40 now when jesus returned the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him and there came a man named jerius who was a ruler of the synagogue and falling at jesus feet he implored him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him declared in the presence of all the people why she had troubled him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. He directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Hear the word of the Lord. What do we experience with God when we get sick? From this passage, there are three things that we need to think about this morning. What do we experience with God? All of us will die. Many of us will succumb to disease. What do we experience with God when we get sick? Number one, for our good. Jesus calls us out into the open with him. Look at verse 45. Look at verse 46. Look at verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden. Since the garden, we've been hiding from God. It's never successful to hide from Jesus. By the way, are you hiding from Jesus? this morning. Sickness calls us out in the open. Sickness puts its arm around us. The loss of our health puts its arm around us and whispers into our ear, do you really believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Sickness puts its arm around us and said, you know what? Are you bluffing or is your faith for real? And we think it's sickness, and we turn around, it's not sickness, it's Jesus. Jesus calls us out out into the open, and he calls us out into the open for our good. This woman had a strategy, I'm gonna stay hidden, I'm the outcast, I'm the poor one, no one wants anything to do with me, And she was superstitious. It was kind of a rabbit's foot faith. Okay, a little touchy magic stuff here. You know, I'll just go up and touch the hem of his garment. Then I'll be fine. But Jesus, in calling her out, was doing several things simultaneously. And she was clueless, as we often are in the midst of physical demise, trying to figure out what in the world God is doing. And some of you have been there. You've been there with spouses. A few of you have buried children. And you've watched and you've wondered. And you know what it means for Jesus to call you out Do you trust me? Do you understand I'm right here? The Lord is near. Well, why did she want to be hidden? She was embarrassed. She was ashamed. Clearly, she didn't feel well. How would you like to give blood for 12 years perpetually? She was at least anemic, at most living in a debilitated, weakened state. She was unclean, and she was poor. She wanted to stay hidden, but she wanted the benefits of Jesus. What's glorious about Jesus is he calls us out so we can have everything that will satisfy us in himself. She wanted healed. Jesus wanted her to experience his love. He called her out. Why did Jesus call her into the open? At least to declare her healing and to note with the crowd that this woman who's finally identified, she's trembling. This woman is identified before the crowd and they say, oh, are you kidding me? That unclean woman touched Jesus? We better all get away from Jesus now because she has spoiled him. Jesus is now unclean. No, Jesus calls her out to carve out space for her future, to give her a future and a hope. And this is always the action of Jesus in our life. He is paving the way for the best future that we could have and one that we cannot have without him. And he calls her out. Because he declares her unclean. That's going to give her hope to be reoriented back to society. That's going to point out to others that this Jesus has saved her and redeemed her life. The word, your faith has made you well, is the word saved. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has brought you unto the saving love of God in Christ. And he wanted to clarify for her that it wasn't her superstition. This is what's glorious about Jesus when he calls us out. He's coaxing us forward to straighten out the wrongheaded ideas we have about him and we have about us and we have about faith. She thought she had a little, you know, 47 and a half percent real faith in Jesus and 49 uh, percent. Uh, mysticism and magic and rabbit's foot you know just I gotta get you know just touch it a little bit that and four percent of other trash and Jesus says no 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 come out your faith in me has made you well it's not superstition it's resting relying and trusting on me The gesture of calling her out was for her own good. And he brought her. This is what happens when we encounter Jesus. Do you know where she was? Do you think she was experiencing peace for those 12 years? No way. But look, he tells her, the last three words he told to her were go in peace. And whatever was going on before that, it wasn't peace. But after encountering Jesus, After experiencing his salvation, after trusting in him, she experienced not only healing for her body, but peace for her soul. And that's what happens when we get around Jesus. That's what happens when he calls us out. Now, here's the question for us this morning. Is Jesus Christ calling you out this morning? Is he inviting you to himself? Now, Eric, wait a minute. I'm going to mingle with the crowd. I may try to get in there a little bit and touch the hem of his garment. Is Jesus Christ opening your heart to himself and calling you to throw yourself without inhibition upon him? Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you're well? Is Jesus calling you out to that this morning? You say, Eric, no, wait a minute. Give me half credit for just being here. All right, I've gotten as far in my spiritual journey as hanging around the people of God a little bit. Well, great. But hanging around the people of God a little bit is not the same as relating to Jesus Christ by faith and building intimacy with him. Is God calling you out this morning? He called her out, and it was for her own good and for her development, and she left that day. You know what kind of shape she was in when she went home? She was at peace. Are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with life? Are you ready to meet him? Should he require your soul? Do you need to meet with someone this morning before you leave? Do you need to spend some time with a staff member? Spend some time with an elder here? and pray before you go home? Do you need a guide this morning? Sickness calls us out. Do you believe in the gospel when you're well? Oh, yeah, sure, I believe the gospel. Well, do you believe the gospel when you get in your car and start it and you can't even figure out how to work your key fob because the oncologist has just told you you have stage four breast cancer or you have stage three colon cancer? Do you believe the gospel when you're well? Do you believe it when you're not well? For our good, Jesus calls us out in the open with Him and we get sick. Secondly, faith is our great consolation that brings us to great dilemmas. Let's be real here and authentic. The tension in this passage is between fear and faith. Verse 47, the woman is trembling. Verse 50, Jesus tells Jairus, do not fear. Believe. Now, there's two kind of beliefs in the Bible. There's childlike trust, which is heralded by Jesus, without which no one will come into the kingdom of God, except you come as a child, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Childlike faith shows up in a... uh, passage like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we believe that. And when our lives are going well, we say to ourselves, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if somebody asks us, do you believe the gospel? We say, I believe. I believe. Yes, I believe. I have that childlike faith. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm for childlike faith. But there's also carbide tip faith. In contrast to Psalm 23 faith, it's Psalm 22 faith. Carbide tip faith. That's the believing psalmist saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because who of us in the middle of disease, ravaging our body, in the middle of sickness, do not say, wait a minute, this doesn't feel like Psalm 23. It feels like Psalm 22. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? There's two ways to ask that question. One is in developing doubt, cynicism, and unbelief. And the other is when we ask that question with carbide tip faith. That's the faith of Psalm 22. I followed a lady for, uh, she had breast cancer for 12 years. And it finally got her in the 12th year. And as I was with her for like the last six. And I would visit her and we'd talk. And I talked to her one day and I said, hey, Sue, tell me, what passage of scripture has meant the most to you? And she shocked me. In fact, I thought at first when I heard, oh, no, man, She's depressed. She's going under. Oh, no. She said, Psalm 22. And I thought, Psalm 22. Oh, that's great. The Psalms are so beautiful. And I started thinking, Psalm 22. Are you kidding me? Psalm 22. My God, my God, what Jesus quotes on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? But she was just a realistic woman of faith with indomitable resolve that had carbide tips and was going to stick to it at all costs, no matter where it went. And she said, you know what? It was a comfort to me to know that Jesus experienced some of what I feel on some days when I go through this suffering. She taught me more about suffering that day. Psalm 22 faith is deeper. It's more mysterious. Are we developing that at Bible Center Church? Phil Yancey in his book, Disappointed with God, said, the kind of faith God values seems to develop best. By the way, this is the value of sickness and illness. You see, Eric, you're getting up, heralding the value of my body, going in the ditch? What's wrong with you? The kind of faith God values seems to develop best when everything fuzzes over, when God seems silent, when the fog rolls in. Childlike trust may not survive when the miracle does not come. When the urgent prayer gets no answer, when a dense gray mist obscures any sign of God's concern, such times call for something more. And I will use the musty word fidelity for that hang on at any cost faith. What kind of faith are we cultivating? Are we carbide tippers or are we child likers who easily drop out and give up? Is Christ our treasure as long as we have no want? What happens when we have want, have want of health because we are sick? Is Christ our treasure when he cannot be seen? Eddie Dobson was with Jerry Falwell in the 80s as a part of the Moral Majority, edited the Fundamentalist Journal, left and went to Grand Rapids in West Michigan and had an extraordinary run as a faithful pastor at Calvary Church at a very influential church, and he was doing great things. His eyes started twitching one day, he went to the doctor and he diagnosed him with ALS. He went down slowly, but it got him. He wrote a book called "Seeing Through the Fog." The title is so apropos. Are you in the fog this morning? Let's be honest. Doesn't the fog come in a broken world? Are you facing threat? I'm glad God brought you here this morning. Jesus is with us in the fog. In some glad morning, this fog is not going to be around anymore forever. Phil Yancey said, the end of history is when the fog lifts for good. I love that quote, and I love it better when we add, and not until then. Be not discouraged if you are in the fog this morning. Just let the carbide tip grip on the promise of God remain steadfast. You see, jerius had a decision to make. Was he going to stick with Jesus Christ or not when it didn't look very good? He was all in with Christ. He put all of his eggs in the Christ basket And then his daughter died before Jesus could get to his house. He believed Jesus, but he had dilemmas as he believed Jesus. My buddy bought agricultural commodities on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. He had several good accounts and developed quite a business. He got a call one day. I remember it as Argentina, a country in South America, they called him and said, look, I understand you're pretty good at this stuff. We want you to buy our stuff on the exchange. Now, when they send you to the exchange to buy some wheat, it's not a small order. And it was a haymaker account. And he starts going, yeah. And then here's the kicker. But here's the deal. If you're going to buy for us, you're not allowed to have any other clients. And so we had a decision to make. Was he or was he not going to put all his eggs in the Argentina basket? He decided, I'm going all in with Argentina. And it was Haymaker City until Argentina called and said, we're out. After he had cut his ties with all of his clients. And he had to pivot out of that career. It was that catastrophic. Here's Jarius his beloved daughter is dying and he faces dilemmas on several fronts. First, have you ever been in a situation where it seemed like the providence was playing your way? Where Jesus was at work and good things were going on and it's going the right direction, it looked good. He came and he, he falls down and he implores Jesus, my only daughter who's 12 years old is dying, will you come to my home? And Jesus says, yes. And in his spirit, he must have said, glory to God, this is working out well. And they start along and somebody stops the procession. I was told yesterday about a, uh, a recent uh, plaintiff case where uh, uh, the complaint was that uh, somebody hindered the emergency vehicle from getting there and was held up and it resulted in death. This is what Jarius is feeling. This is a part of his dilemma. Number one, somebody's holding up the party. By the way, Jesus was doing everything he had always intended to do. And what was perceived by Jarius to be Jesus getting off track was not Jesus getting off track at all. So if you are beginning to believe, look, it started to swing my way in providence, but now it's, it's, it's going sideways. It's getting off track. No, Jesus is doing everything he wants to do in your life, and he's calling you out just to keep sustaining your trust in him. But secondly, he had a problem with uh, now Jesus is unclean. He had put all of his eggs in the Jesus basket, and now the basket is unclean. And he's a good Jewish boy, and he's a good Jewish boy who's leading the synagogue. And now an unclean woman has touched him, and he's unclean, and he's coming over to his house, supposedly, and that will make his house unclean. And what? His. Do- <sighs> then the kicker came. Hey, your daughter's dead. It's interesting how Luke records the story. Several times he comes back, she's dead. I heard recently somebody talk about and I can't remember any movie, but the princess Brides and the three of them are talking about you know how dead they actually are they you know partly dead or half dead or you know in a uh, uh, soliloquy between several there uh she's dead. by the way, they all learned that day that death does not have a last word with Jesus. so he had to decide now wait a minute, am I going to stick? With this, you talk about the fog rolling in. It stopped. She's unclean. The daughter's dead. He was all in, then he faced these things. It would be only later that he may remember that Jesus prayed three times Father, I don't want to take this cup. And he took the cup for us. So we could remember and drink his and celebrate what he's done. He would later remember that the apostle Paul asked three times that the thorn in the flesh be removed. A godly man praying. Doesn't God answer prayer? Yeah. And the answer was no. But Paul was all in. Get what I mean about childlike faith and dilemmas. Let's put our carbide tips on. There is no other hope outside of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jarius came to understand that in a very vivid way that day. Did he believe in Jesus, all legs in the Jesus basket? Yes. Any tensions? Yes. Thirdly, there's some issues in life that will not resolve until after the resurrection. Look at verse 49. Look at verse 55. There are deep streams of triumphalism in American faith. Believe God and it'll be great. Well, yes and no. Yes, forever. In time as we believe God through the fog and in the fog, we face some tough days. The world is broken. Here we have no permanent city, but we look for the city that is to come. Jarius came to Christ, he appealed to Christ, he hoped in Christ, and then she died. Have you been there before? I remember going out on an anointing, a James 5 anointing of prayer for the group of elders in Springfield at Southgate Baptist Church. We met as a group, we cleared our conscience and confessed sin and prayed, prepared to go out and got the Del Monte olive oil and put it in our pocket and went out there and went to this sweet lady's house and she was suffering from cancer and these tumors that were showing up in her body and uh, she was afraid and her husband was an ethnic cultural Catholic who didn't go to the parish very much and he was watching everything but he did appreciate somebody loving on his wife and we were there and we sought through the order of James 5, to clear her conscience with the Lord if there are any issues of conscience. And we surrounded her, and we got out the Del Monte oil. We put, put it on her, and we cried out honestly and earnestly and believingly. And the next morning in the shower, she felt some more tumors on her body. And it was stunning to her. I hadn't thought about her in a long time, but I was preparing this message. I thought, I wonder what ever happened to her. I'm pleased to report to you this morning And it has nothing to do with uh, our prayers, but everything to do with the graciousness of God who takes broken men and women's prayers and makes the sausage of his glory out of it. She's still living. I checked on it this week with one of her friends. She's still going. Praise the Lord. Martin Luther had a 13-year-old daughter, Magdalena. She got the plague 500 years ago. And she was... So close to his heart. She was his, her, his favorite daughter. And his wife, they loved this girl. And she got sick. And it was bad. And he knelt next to her and he prayed this. Lord, I love her a lot. But good God, if your will is to take her, I will give her up with pleasure. And then she died. They didn't embalm back then. Soon they had her in a wooden box And they're nailing the lid on. And as they're nailing the lid on, in that wrenching parental moment, Luther cried out, hammer away! On doomsday she'll rise again. And that carbide-tipped faith rose up with him and maintained its grip on the promise of God. And he went inexorably through the fog and the darkness of that moment looking for that time when all these first things will be taken away. Remember the Hebrews 11 people? Oh, yeah, I'm trying to get Hebrews 11 faith. Are you? Yeah, I want just what they got. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Carbide tip faith, is that you? Is that me? Jairus learned that death does not get the last word. He learned that there's some issues in life that will not resolve until after the resurrection. I love D.A. Carson's quote when he said, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. My new buddy Bob in Northern Kentucky was just diagnosed with ALS He's 78. His wife died a number of years ago. He loved her so much. He was so debilitated in grief. I've never heard of this before. He worked through his grief by a thousand push-ups a day. Literally pushing back against the fog. Praying to our Lord. Loves the Lord. And he's dropping like a rock. I watched them bring him in Sunday as he was... They were holding him fast to his cane, trying to get him in to sit down for worship. He went to lunch with his uh, three grandchildren right after the diagnosis, and one of his granddaughters was weepy. And she said, Grandpa, I just love you. I feel so bad about what's going on. And he said to her and reported to me with a sparkle in his eye, he said, I told her, Oh, honey, don't you worry about me. I know the end is going to be tough. But I've been waiting for what happens after the end every day since I received Jesus Christ into my life. And it is something glorious. It is something wonderful. And I want to be with you forever. He pulled out of his pocket his favorite track, and he gave it to each grandchildren and said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Embrace this hope. Oh, I know whom I have believed, Paul said, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep those things that I've committed to him until that day. Is that you? Is that me? You're going through a tough time? All dear ones, it's nothing that a good resurrection can't fix. Christ holds us fast when we are sick and does his holy purposes in our life. Father, use the word of God to encourage, inspire, and give hope to your people this morning. Amen.